Hello, dear audience, once again on the Didomi podcast. My name is Wissam Al Salibi. I'm the director of the Geneva Office of the World Evangelical Alliance. I'm very uh, glad and happy to have with us uh, on this episode Canon Dr. Andrew Smith. Andrew is the director of interfaith relations of the Bishop of Birmingham of the Church of England. Many years ago, in my former work at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary, I got the chance to meet Andrew, and I got the chance also to learn about his amazing work, the feast and the peacemaking effort that they lead in the UK. And back then, um, the efforts that were in the UK were being replicated in Lebanon in a version that fits the context of the Arab world. Back then, it was called uh, the Khibzu Melech Initiative, uh, Bread and Salt. Andrew, before we ask of the, about the recent developments or the recent events that happened in the UK, can you share about with us about the feast? Yes, thank you. And thanks very much for having me on the podcast today. It's really good to be here with you. Um, so the feast is uh, an organization we set up uh, in 2009 in Birmingham uh, here in the UK, um, coming out of work that I'd been doing with teenagers, with young people since the year 2000. Um, bringing together young people of different faiths, primarily Christian and Muslim to start with, with the real key aims of helping them make friends, to become really good friends, to talk about their faiths uh, openly, honestly, uh, and to then look at ways that they can kind of impact the world around them to change things uh, in their families, amongst their friends, in the wider community. So that was the kind of the, the, the driving force behind it originally. Um, and then that spread to other locations in the UK. And then, as you said, folk in Lebanon set up Hub Zamela, which is uh, still going and still doing some incredible work in Lebanon. And they've also supported work in Sudan. And we've got partners in other countries doing uh, similar things. They've taken the idea. But it's primarily about how do we help people really live well with difference, to find ways to meet people who are very different to them, particularly religiously different, but in that to be able to negotiate um, where they find commonality, but also particularly where they find difference, and use that as a way of forming really deep friendships. So it's not just conferences where you go to and learn and come away again, but something about a deep sense of kind of rooted relationships. Thank you, Andrew. Indeed, I saw these uh, relationships develop in Lebanon in my, in my, when I was working with the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. And I remember that uh, this program that you developed was, was relevant even to, to, to our communities in Lebanon. I mean, you developed something in the UK and that was still relevant in Lebanon and now in Sudan. So I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing and the effort you're, you're investing in the lives of the, the young people all over the world now. I mean, UK, Lebanon, Sudan. Now, what brings us to this conversation is, is unfortunately the sad events that unfolded in, in the UK. That's why I wanted to talk to you and to record this episode. In, the, in recent weeks, um, there's been violence between Hindus and Muslims, primarily in Leicester. Did I say that correctly? Leicester. So the violence that unfolded in Leicester between Hindus and Muslims. My, my question to you, have you in your work, in your peacemaking work in the past, encountered this tension that is simmering between various religious communities, a tension that is uh, imported 
from other areas like in India and Pakistan or maybe other areas in the world. Like we, there are a lot of division, Christian, Muslim, Shia, Sunni. How have you encountered these, these tensions and divisions? How did they play out just recently in last weeks? Thank you. Yes, um, Birmingham uh, is a city of a million people uh, in the middle of the UK uh, and it's an incredible mix of people. Um, out of that, a million people... We have people from uh, at least 180 different countries living in Birmingham. I think there are something like 206 in the United Nations. So nearly the whole world mm. lives in Birmingham. And we have every religion and pretty much every part of every religion in Birmingham. So all the multiplicity of diversity that I'm sure uh, you can think about, you'll almost certainly find some of it here somewhere in Birmingham. So it's an extraordinarily diverse, uh, rich kind of cultural, kind of religiously diverse city. Um, and uh, a place like Leicester has a similar kind of level of diversity. It's a smaller city, so it's not quite as much, but a similar level of diversity. Consequently, um, what happens in other parts of the world impacts what happens here in the UK and vice versa. What happens here has an impact globally, and particularly in the last 20 years with the rapid rise of social media and things being recorded and watched instantly around the world, um, we are a very connected community. Um, and certainly there have been, over the years, kind of different groups who find themselves at tension or uh, sometimes at loggerheads. Um, so, for example, Israel-Palestine is always some of the background noise to interfaith relations in Birmingham. That's always there somewhere in the background or very much at the fore, depending on what's happening in that part of the world. Similarly, what's been happening in India and Pakistan, but particularly India over the last 10 years or more, has started to influence people's attitudes here in Birmingham. And that's played out in many complex ways. And whether that's to do with Kashmir and uh, all the kind of fallout from the, the the way that partition was done back in 1947. And that's still a very raw uh, historical moment for many people here in Birmingham with relatives mm. caught up in the violence of that time. Whether it's to do with uh, the desire for a Sikh homeland, the Khalistan movement, whether it's to do with tensions that are growing between uh, communities in India. And I'm always very hesitant to say that it's between Hindus and Muslims and Christians because I know so many people use that religious label or that religious kind of uh, the, the religion to hide behind when actually the violence or the tensions are about politics and power and resources. Um, sometimes they're about how many gods you worship or who believes what, but so often they're actually far more about power and politics and resources. But certainly those religions are being used and manipulated and you know stories are passed around here online in all directions of this community attacking this community uh, of the other community actually are the ones who are perpetrating the the, the, the evil and, and, the, and the wrong and i have muslims hindu sikhs and christians all telling me about how they are the victims in india and that the others are the perpetrators and it is causing Division, um, not hugely, but it certainly is causing uh, anxiety between communities here and has been for a while uh, in Birmingham. And I think that's been true in Leicester. And I think the cricket match 
was a spark, but actually for stuff that had been simmering for a long time underneath. I mean, actually, there are lots of cricket matches between Pakistan and India in England, and they don't—they never normally end up in that kind of protest. Um, and in fact, there was a big one in Birmingham between India and Pakistan earlier this summer, and it was a delightful carnival and celebration, and it, it was a very happy kind of uh, good sporting event. Um, but clearly, stories coming out from India, um, uh, particularly because of the, the, the links with the subcontinent here in, in Birmingham, uh, do do play out quite raw. We have very large numbers of Pakistani, Bangladeshi and Indian people living in Birmingham, uh, partly because of you know, histories of empire and, and colonialism means that, that they've come to live here, which has been uh, uh, I think great for the, the diversity here in Birmingham. So it's certainly been something that's ongoing and there is always in a sense, someone somewhere, you know, we have, we have folk from different parts of Africa where stories from back home of things that are happening that are difficult play out amongst communities here. So it is part of the, the reality of life is that what is happening elsewhere affects people here, uh, either because they are sad or angry or because they're rejoicing because they feel that something good is happening. Now the feast is an ongoing program to you know to bring uh, people from different communities and religions closer to each other. But when crisis happens, when the the violence recently the clashes, the violence erupted in Leicester, what did you do? What was the effort that you did? You know. To um, to address this problem, I saw on Twitter that you posted a picture of a gathering of religious leaders you were part of. I'd love to hear how you uh, contributed to the efforts to reduce the tension, diffuse the tension, and bring it back peace to the community. So the, the, the tension in the last week was on, on the west side of Birmingham in an area called Smethwick, ju- just to the west of Birmingham. And that's an area I've been working in uh, over the last uh, seven or eight years with the, the local kind of faith communities, um, helping them build up their kind of interfaith kind of friendships whilst being very clear about who they are within their own faiths. And we set up a little group called um, Faithful Friends over there, and that involves Christians, Muslims, Sikhs, uh, and has had some kind of connection with the Hindu community. But that's become a very strong group of friends. Uh, And we've had some really interesting uh, encounters together. We ran a really interesting project called Faithful Friends on Tour, where each of us chose a place of special meaning to us. And we took the whole group to that place. We went to a field in the south of England where the the vicar became a Christian at a Christian camp many years ago. We've been to madrasas, to gurdwaras, to churches. um, And then we went to India in 2016 and went to uh, Amritsar to Hamahinda Sahib. We went to Delhi. Um, we met with Christians and Muslims and, and, and Sikhs and Hindus in India. And then earlier this year, we went to Israel and Palestine. So actually, what's happened there, and this is what's happened in other parts of the work that I've done, is that we've responded at times of crisis out of deep friendship that was formed when life was going well. And for me, that's always been a fundamental principle with the feast. When we set it up in two, when I did the first ever youth encounter, the youth event I did in the year 2000, people said to me, 
why do you need to bring together Christian and Muslim teenagers? There's no tensions. There's nothing wrong. Why are you doing it? Well, that was September 2000. Of course, one year later, everyone turned to me and said, we need your work happening because look what's happened in the world with the, the terrible events of 9-11. But actually, mm. over the years, I've said to people, we need to get together when life seems quite good because that's where you form the friendships. That's where you have all your initial conversations so that when life's tough, you've got that relationship and friendship to build on. Um, and in fact, I remember talking to friends in Lebanon many years ago as we were l looking at helping them set up Khubza Melach. And, and I said about this, and I said, you know, some people in England think you should wait until there's a conflict and then you get together and talk about things. And they looked at me incredulously and said, why would you wait till then? That's the worst time to start a relationship. You start it when life's good. And I've often quoted them to people here. But that's how we worked this last week. So when there was, uh, it was heard that a, a rather controversial Hindu speaker was coming to a small mandir in, in that part of town. Uh, someone who's spoken, uh, Hindus would say has spoken very devoutly about Hinduism, but others would, would quote, would look to pod, um, YouTube videos of her saying some very negative things about Muslims. Um, and the Hindus invited her. I don't think that they don't hate Muslims. They just see her as a devout Hindu teacher. But what we did as a group, we were able to flag this up with members of the group who knew that that mandir, that Hindu temple, who they didn't go online and criticize them. They just went down there and sat down with the leaders and said, mm. look at the problems this, this woman's going to cause. Please don't invite her. And the, the temple committee, to their credit, looked at what was presented to them and said, we will cancel it straight away. And, and in a sense, we resolved it by quiet friendship and talking to them. The trouble is, of course, we don't live in a world that just goes on quiet friendship. And word had got out, and it was out on social media, and there was a call for protests. And we became aware that this call to have a demonstration was growing, and it could be violent towards the temple. And to their credit, it was the Muslims in the group who initiated the call to say, we should go down to the temple tonight to support them because wow. no place of worship should be attacked. And we met with the police that lunchtime and with the temple group and the police were aware and they were putting out, you know, they were going to have the police there. But we said, we will be there in the in the grounds of the temple and, and stand with you. And, and to his credit, one of the imams uh, from the Faithful Friends group did a short video that he put on YouTube and, and it went round on, on kind of um, WhatsApp and everything where he called on Muslims not to come. He explained that it had been cancelled. He quoted the Quran as to why they should not attack others. Mm. Um, really put himself out there. But he did that knowing that as Christians, we we'd got his back. We were going to look after him. We would stand alongside him. That as Christians, we would be there caring for others. And so th there was a demonstration. It wasn't huge. It did get quite nasty. The police kind of contained it very well. But actually, and that situ that particular flashpoint has diffused. The ongoing tensions are still very much there. And I've been in other conversations with other Muslims and other Hindus in other parts of the city to, to talk about what are we going to do? We've got Navratri coming up. Um, and I know that some Hindus are nervous. Are there going to be protests at Mondays during Navratri? So next week, I will go to probably three different Navratri celebrations in different Mondays to show the Hindus that I'm with them. They're my friends. I know I know them in, in the different temples, um, but want to reassure them that we're not just going to 
stand back, even though I don't agree with some of the things that are being said by some Hindus. I'm not condoning that, but I'm saying that I certainly don't condone the violence. Um, and actually, if you're feeling frightened, I want to stand with you. Um, and I've done you know, similar things with Muslim and Sikh friends in the past as well. But it's, but it's come about, it worked, because we already had the friendships in order to say we will stand together and do this. Um, and it was that hard work that we've done over the last four or five years that meant that when someone put on WhatsApp, can we meet in three hours' time, we all dropped what we were doing and went because we're a group of friends and wanted to stand together. Andrew, I am so grateful for your leadership in this, uh, for the, the Hindu, the Muslim and other leaders of the community and faith leaders who are also joining you in the effort to maintain the peace, to build the peace in, in the community. I, I'm, I, I'm really glad of what, what you're sharing. I've read the headlines. I've read that one of the uh, Hindu speakers who was supposed to come wasn't coming anymore. I was not aware of your own involvement in the work and the effort that you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing this, for thank you for your work. Now, one question that comes to mind is, how is your effort a reflection of your Christian faith? That's one layer. But then how is it also a Christian witness? How are we bringing people closer to Jesus? Two really good questions. Um, certainly for me, when we set the feast up, or when I was developing that youth work you know, m many years ago and thinking, you know, why is it I want to do this? What is it the calling? There were two or three things that really came to me. Uh, first was that deep call in the great commandments to love your neighbour and to love God. And really conscious that the love your neighbour is completely unconditional. And my question is, so what does it mean to love my Muslim, Hindu, Sikh neighbour unconditionally, um, but at the same time to love God? So I always often say to people, loving my Hindu neighbor does not mean becoming a Hindu. I am called to still love God faithfully with my heart and soul and mind and strength. But I am called to unconditionally love them. I'm not called to respect them or tolerate them. And I'm, I'm commanded to love them. And when you love someone, you stand with them in the tough times and the good times, don't you? When you love someone, you, you don't mind putting yourself out for them. It's such a challenging verse that, that I think sometimes we... We don't grapple the real radicalness and the, and the challenge of that. So what does it mean to, to show the Hindu folk that we do genuinely love them? Mm. What does it mean to show my Muslim friends who are hurting by some of the things that the, some of these people have said that I genuinely love them too? And that can be a tricky place to stand. But also one of the other principles we had was that, you know, the, the, the Beatitude, blessed are the, blessed are the peacemakers, but they shall be called the children of God. And... You know, I grew up in the south of England. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s now. But when I grew up, life was peaceful as a white male in the south of England. I grew up and life was peaceful, basically, and didn't really have to grapple with that verse. And being in this role in this city, it, it becomes more apparent. But it really struck me when I was working with these young people is Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Almost everyone I know is a peace supporter. But that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be people who make peace. And that's, a, that's, you know, that's active. It involves getting your hands dirty. It means saying, fine, I'll come out this evening and stand with you. I will go and visit your place. I will go to you. I will put the effort in. Um, and I'll put the effort in not just when there's a conflict and then go away again, but I will keep on doing it. One of the things that frustrates me in this kind of interfaith peace kind of world, that I know that if there's a crisis in the city, 
So when we've had far right groups come to the city, hundreds of people will turn up to meetings to, to oppose them. And the number of times I've heard people say, we should meet together more often. And a number of us shrug and think, well, do you know, we are meeting together more often, but you only turn up when there's a crisis. And I think as Christians, we're called to be peacemakers every single day and not just respond to a crisis. We respond to the crisis because we've done all that peacemaking before. But I think that's those deep callings to genuinely love our neighbours, whoever they are, unconditionally, and be peacemakers. Um, and so that, that's got the kind of the first part of your question. Sorry, that's a long answer. What does that do? I mean, I think that all those folk who I'm involved in, they know that I'm a Christian. They see myself. They see um, the clergy in Smethwick. Um, they see Christians being willing to go and stand with them. Um, of course, they also see Muslims and Sikhs doing it. And so the witness is, is a Christian witness, but they see us willing to work with others, not demanding that it's only us not demanding only peace for Christians, but demanding peace for Muslims and demanding peace for Hindus. Um, and I think that's very attractive to people. I think sometimes that's challenging, but I think it really says to people there's something going on here. And what really came home to me yesterday lunchtime, I had a phone call from another Hindu lady involved in a completely different temple, um, someone I've known for a few years now, and I've worked with her and, and got to know folk at their temple. And she phoned me up yesterday and said, Andrew, this is just a, a friendly call. I want to make sure you're OK, because I've seen the things on social media. I've seen what you've been doing for the temple. I want to say thank you. But me and the priest, we want to just check that you're OK. And I just thought, wow, that's incredible. But they do that knowing that I'm a Christian. Uh, mm, and she went mm. on to talk about some of her understandings and things. But But actually, that said to me that they are... You know, they want to support a Christian. They want to be friendly with a Christian when actually a few years ago they didn't have much connection with Christianity. So clearly there's something in that witness that they found attractive. Where that leads to for them spiritually, we'll, we leave that in God's hands. I'm really grateful for for your work and for, for, for God's calling on your life. We often interview people on issues of peacemaking in the, in the developing world, not in the UK so I'm used to hearing these stories, but outside of the UK, in Lebanon, in Iraq, elsewhere. But now that I'm hearing them also in, in, in the UK, I'm grateful for your role in those communities um, to support pieces, to bring people together and ultimately to be witnesses for our Lord and Savior through the peacemaking effort that we are called to, to do and to pursue. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, my question now is, well, how can we pray for you? How can listeners pray for you? Um, I think pray for peace, um, it, obviously. Um, I think, we, as you can imagine, as, as with any peacemaker, with, with, with all your listeners, we constantly walk these delicate tightropes. Um, I've, I've told you the nice things. I also have at least one person, uh, a Hindu guy who, who trolls me quite a lot, doesn't like what I'm doing, um, says some quite horrible things about me. I know there are Christians who question why I'm standing in, in a Hindu temple looking after them. Um, we constantly hold this tension of, you know, what is it I should be saying publicly? If I speak out about that group, will another group kind of go, well, you didn't speak out for us? There is this constant delicate, when's it right to act? Where's it right to go? And 
I would value prayer for wisdom because it, it, it requires real wisdom. I often don't feel I have that. Um, it does need some courage, certainly not compared to in many parts of the world. I, I don't want to overplay that by any means. Um, but particularly, A, the wisdom, but also, as you last said, actually to be that effective witness. At what point do we you know, actually have to say, no, I'm going to walk away from this situation? At what point do we really challenge people, even if that means they're going to get upset with us and not want to speak to us again? How do we hold that? kind of witness, speaking truth to power, speaking out for justice, that complex stuff that you know all, all your listeners and others will, will really know about, about uh, the complexities of this. But when you've got a city that's got such diversity, um, you feel like you're constantly treading this kind of, in English, we would say treading on eggshells, meaning we have to tread very carefully and delicately all the time. And we will pray. Thank you, Andrew. We will pray for wisdom, for courage, and uh, for understanding the, the, the signs of the times and the communities and how you can have a prophetic voice in your own community. And I also pray that we learn from you, that I learn from you, that uh, you know, the, the listeners to this podcast learn uh, from you. I wish, I wish we had more time or we had more, I mean, more time meaning much more than just the 30 minutes we spent. To, to learn uh, how you are pursuing your work and effort so that we can replicate it, just like the feast was replicated. Also, the bridge building and the wisdom needed needed to uh, bring about peace in tense societies. The world is not getting any better, and we all need to uh, learn how to be better peacemakers. And thank you for taking the leadership and, and, and showing a model of how we can be peacemakers in the UK. Thank you so much. Andrew, for also being on this call and sharing with us. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's been really good to be here. Thank you. And thank you, dear listeners, uh, for joining us for this episode of the Didomi podcast. If you like this episode, rate us five stars on your podcasting app. Subscribe to our newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and give us feedback so we can learn how to do better podcasts. Thank you so much. Bye bye.